0: There's one in four people um, in the U.S. who have a disability. One in five in Canada, actually 22% uh, of the population has a disability. And I feel like in business, if we don't consider that our customers, you know, a quarter will have a disability and our employee will also have disabilities, then we're missing on hidden talents um,
1: and hidden because we're not paying attention to them. You're listening to episode 32 of the Happy Space podcast. Today we're exploring how to make the world more accessible with accessibility consultant and disability advocate, Marjorie Onos. Welcome to the Happy Space podcast, where productivity meets inclusivity and everyone gets things done. Hello, I'm Claire Kumar, highly sensitive executive coach, speaker, and your host. Studies show that diversity leads to better business outcomes. So doesn't it make sense to invite everyone's richest contribution? Yet too many people are invited to burn out or opt out, and we are squandering talent. On this show, we'll explore a two-part solution. Part one, cultivating sustainable performance, the individual design of work and life to preserve our energy so we can keep contributing. And two, designing inclusive performance, the design of spaces, cultures, products and services which invite the richest participation. I hope you enjoy these conversations and find inspiration and encouragement for everyone deserves a happy space. If we want our world to be more inclusive, We need to be paying close attention to accessibility, the ease with which individuals can participate at work, at home, and in daily life. I speak a lot about how it's a crime to squander human potential. And globally, 16% of people live with a disability, and the number is growing as our populations age. Having spaces that cannot be accessed, maneuvered, or tolerated for those with the wide variety of challenges that exist requires action. That's why I'm so pleased to have Marge Onos joining us today to share her highly relevant personal and professional lived experience. Marge Onos is a psychologist, TEDx speaker, disability advocate, and accessibility consultant. We explore what compelled Marge to dedicate her life to supporting adults with intellectual disabilities at a tender 20 years old. What motivated her when she became a paraplegic as a single mom to her 16-month-old son? And how to be a better ally to those who have accessibility challenges? Please enjoy meeting Marge. Marjorie, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to talk to you about your mission around advocating and consulting for accessibility and disability and I wonder if you wouldn't mind bringing our listeners into your journey and let us know a little bit about your history and what brought you to this place
0: well thank you for the invitation first I'm really excited to have this conversation with you Um, look I was a psychologist I'm working in the field of intellectual disabilities When um, I, on my way to work, I had a car accident. So my car slid on black ice and um, I, there was impact with another bigger truck. And basically I sustained a spinal cord injury. I was 34 years old and I was the mom, single mom of my son Thomas, who is, was 16 months old at the time. And so for me, the impact of that car with um, the truck basically made an impact because my professional life um, basically just you know, came in my personal life. And all of a sudden I was a person with a disability who had to figure out um, how she would provide for her son, who had to figure out where to go and shop, um, you know, that would allow her to come in and actually, you know, go in the aisles and shop for her son. And so it was um a long
1: process of adaptation from then on. Mm. So now today, um I'm thinking of the work that you're doing and this combined lived experience and professional experience. Can you tell us a little bit more? Um about that your your understanding as a psychologist and this this work with intellectual challenge, help me understand your focus now and, and how, what part that plays in the work that you're doing? Well, I think it plays a huge part because um I knew of the
0: struggles that um, my clients had mm-hmm. as a psychologist, and a lot of my clients were actually parents themselves, so parents who themselves had an intellectual disability. And so the whole thing about parents with disabilities was a huge um, interest of mine before my accident. And it was an interest because a lot of people judge parents with disabilities in a negative way because we see or we do things maybe a bit different uh, Mm -hmm. than the normal parenting um, that we see. Or that we see on TV, I guess you know or or in our neighborhoods. Um, and so I was very um, attuned to that. Um, and I also knew how important and essential it was for us to look for accessibility and to ensure that everyone is included. Um, because in my experience and in research actually, um, when everybody is included, then we enhance the resilience of everyone. And we enhance the resilience of everyone in that case because we offer services. And so anybody can access those services when you need them. And we never know when we're going to need those services Mm -hmm. um, to um, help us adapt to challenges and adversity. I didn't know that morning when I went to work that I would have a car accident that would render me paraplegic. And so the more we do for the common and everyone, um,
1: the better it is for each of us individually. Yeah, I, I'm i thinking back to that day, 34 years old, single mom, and how I think many of us think that life-changing things won't happen. We We have this great denial that this could ever be me, and the point you're making that this can, things can happen to anyone in any moment. And so it behooves us as a society to be thinking about this inclusivity because it could be you today, tomorrow, the person yes. you love. It can be any of us. Yes. Um, I, I would love you to expand on this point of, you know, the, the building the supports and helps everyone. So when you're saying supports, what do you mean? Um, Can you give me some examples? Today's episode of the Happy Space Podcast is sponsored by ClaireKumar.com. With sensitivity, curiosity, and courage, I serve three groups asking the tough questions that lead to meaningful answers. Number one, I coach ambitious leaders to design for well-being and achieve next level work-life integration. Number two, I mic drop thought bombs that's BALMS as in B-A-L-M-S, in keynotes and workshops, helping organizations achieve the business imperative that is inclusivity. And three, I collaborate with brands concerned with respect for well-being on product design, marketing, and PR. If any of this piqued your interest, come find me at clairekumar.com. I'd love to speak with you. Designing inclusive performance together will lead to the richest results.
0: So for sure, we each have sort of our support networks. And mm-hmm. it's important for each of us to sort of build um, those networks and make sure that they're nourished.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but what I mean is basically sort of policies. Um, it means like insurance, you know, make sure that, that we all have access to healthcare. Like in my case, you know, it would have been very difficult for me to be resilient if I was in another country with you know, healthcare that I would need to pay for out of <laughs> pocket um, or where you know, doctors and nurses were not um, prepared for receiving someone with a spinal cord injury or didn't have the expertise. I yeah. mean, my resilience was dependent, yes, on my family who helped and helped tremendously um especially at the beginning and for the first i don't know 10 years after my accident i would say um but it was also dependent on their rehab um you know center where i was able to go it mm-hmm. was dependent on the insurance who paid for my income for the you know uh first few years um yeah. and so it's it's all of that if we really considered all of this then i think um whenever something happens we are prepared as individuals to be more resilient because we have sort of a Mm. a base of something to to support us. Um, A little bit like what's happening right now, you know, with the uh, forest fires and there's entire communities that are being displaced. Um, And in those moments, if we have sort of the healthcare in, if we have uh, insurance and bankers You know, imagine you lose everything and you don't have access to your bank account because the cards are left home. And so it's about sort
1: of those services that we put in place. (laughs) So for anyone watching YouTube right now, you can see Ellie is intruding into the podcast. And my listeners know, uh, Marge, that um, Ellie makes an appearance pretty regularly. And so I don't know what he wants now, but uh, yeah, he is like, I'm going to be in this one. Uh, Coming back to what you were saying, I think I want I want our listeners to know where you are. And uh, so Marge lives in NDG, which is a part of Montreal, right next door to the part that I used to live. So when you talked about the black ice, I was picturing it. um, (laughs) Exactly. And and the, the supports that you're talking about vary so much. From place to place, yes. I'm. I'm thinking when you were talking about the supports that we need, what with particular to my MS, there was an absolute overwhelm going on um, in the MS clinic that I was supposed to be have access to, and okay. absolute um, under service. Now there's an, a beautiful multi million dollar facility. I hope that the 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 uh, Talented healthcare professionals are actually matching the beauty of that facility. Yes. But you you raise an important point. And I think Canada, right now, where we both live, I was making this connection yesterday. There was um, there was a an event called Firefest that was launched and was a massive, massive failure. In fact, so much so that the creator went to jail for four years. Oh wow. And he's just come back on the scene and he's like, Firefest 2. And I'm saying, wait a second, we've got mass immigration in Canada. We don't have enough housing. We don't, we have doctor availability crisis on the West Coast. We don't have these supports in your place. So I'm like, Canada, you're pulling a Firefest if you don't actually build these supports in. So your point is, is absolutely uh, critical for policymakers. Um, whether it be governmental or organizational as well, to make sure that um, all employees are are supported. Yes. And
0: it's employees and it's also customers because, um, you know, after my accident, I mean, I was still a single mom and I still needed to provide for my son. And, and to provide for a child, um, I mean, that means I need to be able to do grocery shopping. I need to be able to go and buy clothes when he needs new clothes. And, and I was faced to, you know, in front of stores that I loved to shop in, that I was very loyal to, um, and I couldn't get in anymore. Uh, or I could get in, but I could go into the aisles because uh, they were too narrow, yeah. or I couldn't, like, reach, um, you know, at what I needed. Yeah. And so that changed my whole outlook also in terms of, like, well, who will I be loyal to next? Because I need to be... Able to to provide for Thomas, and I need to be able to shop when I need to be able to shop. So it's also, you know, it's having dedicated employees, but mm-hmm. it's also having loyal customers and accessibility and inclusion will do that for companies and organizations.
1: Absolutely. Now I'm I'm going to remark on something here. You're talking about your son, and you needed to provide for him. Yep. You also needed to take care of yourself, which is. Yes. Such a solid argument on its own. But do you think, is there a reason you bring up caring for your son as such an important thing? Do you think that, is that an invitation for greater empathy? It's,
0: um, my son is the reason I I survived the car accident. I Mm. really do believe that. And so he became my world. And he was my world already, but he um, he was definitely the, my motivation through rehabilitation and the last uh, few years. Um, you know, it's, it's also that... I mean, he didn't ask for it and I was responsible for him. Um, and I also had my son as a single parent, like on purpose, like it was... You know through insemination, and mm-hmm. I felt like I really needed to be there for him um i'm also I'm also a helper i mean I'm a psychologist, and so um, I usually think of others rather than myself first um and my purpose when I was twenty years old um, I saw my purpose very clearly, and to me it was um, to be an advocate for parents, moms especially, who have a disability. And so for me, that purpose, my personal life sort of now helps, um, you know, elevate, I guess, that purpose. And Mm. that's why I often talk about parenting and uh, my child before I talk about myself. (laughs) Yes. I hope you don't mind that
1: question. I was... yeah, because it's I'm interesting. Laughing. It's just, it's funny because that's what I do. I see a lot of moms demote themselves yes. in, in priority. And uh, I can I can just imagine uh, how motivating it was to have Thomas at that time. Yes. And just to be so clear. Uh, yeah. I want to go back to this. You said your purpose at 20 years old. Absolutely. You knew. Uh, yes. Tell me more about where that came from because it's... It, that deserves some, some story time. Yes. So at 20, I met
0: two, uh, two ladies who were my age. Um, I was working at a summer camp mm-hmm. and the first one was actually uh, five years older. So about 25 and she had two uh, children. I was actually working with her daughter at camp uh, providing support and um when I met mom, I realized that mom also had an intellectual disability. And the day that I met her, I had also been asked to provide support for a young lady who was 20, so exactly my age, who had gone to the US um, to be um, sterilized. And I was told that she didn't know that that was the procedure or the the result of the procedure. Um, but her parents didn't want her to have children or get oh. pregnant oh. and so they yeah and so it was like in a matter of days i met those two women and i and i was confronted with um this this young mom yeah. at 25 who was doing everything that she could could to raise yeah. those two beautiful children of hers mm-hmm. and one that was you know her, that choice was taken away from her. And so um, in having those two women in my life that summer, um, I saw my purpose for the rest of my life. And I sort of like wanted to advocate for social justice and for uh, advocacy and for, for the right to choose um, mm-hmm. if you
1: want to be a mom or not, or a parent or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such a powerful... Experience at such a young age and that clarity, uh, and that drove you into your studies and into the work that you do. Then. That's right. Yeah, it's making me think of the movie Benny in June. Oh yeah, do you remember that? I
0: remember that movie. It's yeah, a great movie.
1: yeah. That's what. That's that, that may be my only experience seeing this opportunity for helping an adult with intellectual challenge and and saying you deserve a normal. You deserve what other people yeah. deserve. That's, yes. Yeah. I mean, um, it's human rights, um, you know, and Canada has
0: ratified the UN Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities. Yes. Um, so we technically, on paper anyways, we're, we're supposed to build all of those supports in place, and we're supposed to offer them for everyone to ensure that everyone is included, has mm-hmm. access to all the things that we need to have access to, um, to be able to be resilient. And so we're going back to to that concept again. We enhance the resilience of everyone when we offer proper services. And we offer proper services when we have policies that match um, the needs of our population.
1: Mm. It would be nice to see more living up to that UN convention. Yes. I think it's 183 countries. Um, have signed on. It was, right. um, it came into force in December 2006, I believe. That's right. And I, I think most people in the world are probably have no idea that it exists and whether mm-hmm. this country is even attached to this. I, that's right. I wrote about a watermark issue and uh, it was, came out of South Africa. And that's where I first started to learn about this. And it's like, actually, it is. it is a human rights issue, this exclusion that's of right. participation. When you, when you think now that you have both this lived experience of physical um challenge, yeah. and you have this great understanding of intellectual challenge. What do you notice in your work and in the environment that we're in here in Canada? What do you notice as things that have shifted and where the next biggest you know opportunity before us is is today? Oh, that's a great question um. Like there's a, there's a few things.
0: I mean, there's definitely, um, something missing around, um, uh, parenting and disability. Mm. Um, there's a vague, uh, element there. Um, and we know that women with disabilities are often like, uh, under the poverty line, um, have had, uh, violence or abuse. They're more yeah. at risk anyways. Yeah. Um, And so there's a lot to do socially to support uh, these women. And often, um, you know, they are women with those challenges that have happened to them, but they're also single parents. And so we are tackling not only, or we we're missing in supporting those women and their children and the children are the next generation and Mm -hmm. we want them to be able to be outside of poverty and to be yeah. supported, um, you know, in terms of education, for example. And um, in, in business, uh, what I do see is um, we are at the crossroads where, you know, there's one in four people um, in the U.S. who have a disability, one in five in Canada, actually 22%. Uh, of the population has a disability. And I feel like in business, if we don't consider that um, our customers, you know, a quarter will have a disability and our employee will also have, uh, you know, a quarter of our employees will have disabilities, mm-hmm. then we're missing on hidden uh, talents um, and hidden because we're not paying attention to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also missing on the opportunities to to Offer services and goods and and whatever we're offering products um, to this you know great portion of the population. Well,
1: mm-hmm. I think about the the evidence of accessibility, and I still think a lot really pertains to you know we still have the wheelchair symbol as disability. Yes which is very a narrow view when we look at how much is visible and how much is invisible in terms of challenge. I've been talking to this organization in the UK called Hidden Disabilities. Yes. And they, I don't know if you know them, they have the sunflower lanyard, which is something that can be worn to signify, I have a challenge and I may need assistance. Would you be so kind to offer help if you see that sunflower lanyard? It's a global initiative. They've had even in Rio, they had the statue of Christ with, a, a sunflower on it so and brazil's now passed a law that the sunflower be would be the symbol of hidden yes. hidden disabilities to me i've seen an evolution here in toronto where i live of ramps being put up to stores so you can get a wheelchair and a stroller in more easily yes. right um, I've i've seen more elevators being put in subways and and things where there's a physical accessibility I still think it's tremendously quiet about any other kind of challenge whether it's sensory overload <laughs> which is something I experience um hello ellie <laughs> um, or or any other kind of in, intellectual challenge um learning disabilities ADHD uh, uh, there's so many different challenges that people experience what's your thinking on this visible versus invisible challenge and where we are in terms of understanding that it's broader. And mm-hmm. um, look, 100%, my son uh, happens to have
0: high sensitivity. Um, that's mm-hmm. one of, you know, and um, and so I see it every time. I have to adjust sometimes how I speak, the tone of voice I use, mm-hmm. because that is something that he will react to. Um, and so, you know, I do see it and we need to. Um, even like the symbol of the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um, the symbol of the wheelchair is an issue also because it's a, um, y- you know, static, uh, the the wheelchair person is not in motion. Mm-hmm. And so even that to me is is wrong. And there's actually a movement you were talking about sort of um symbols. Well, yes. there's a new symbol that is trying to get into there where it's sort of like more acted, where you see yes. the person sort of like moving forward.
1: Yeah. I've seen those,
0: yeah. Those visuals are important. They are essential because they help change um the perspective of people who don't know about um, you know, hidden uh invisibility, mm-hmm. um, hidden uh, disabilities or invisible yes, disabilities That's right. um, and they don't know also that someone in a wheelchair is not just someone you push around actually we don't like to be pushed around just like anybody else you know mm. literally and visually
1: um, well I'd love that on a t-shirt don't push me around. yes exactly right. I
0: say it all the time and right. um, my nieces and nephews uh, and my yeah. son also for the longest time were wanted to be helpful and kept sort of like trying to push me in my wheelchair. And I had Mm -hmm. to explain to them, nope, even if it's hard, if it's hard, you can encourage me. So when it's like uphill, for example, Mm. you only touch my wheelchair when I ask you to um, because, you know, I'm a person and I can decide when I need help and when I don't. Um, And if you're unsure, you can ask. You could say, I see that you're, you know, having a hard time. Do you want me to help? Mm -hmm. Um, But other than that, I can do my things like I drive, I go to the store. Um, So I'm able to open doors. I'm able to do a whole bunch of different things. I'm able to figure out how I'm going to get my groceries into my car. Mm -hmm. And when I need help, I do ask and I don't have a problem with asking.
1: Do you think that's the norm? You know, in the population, do you think, or there's the, is that something that evolves? Can you comment on what I'm thinking right now? Is this incredible conversation you, you brought to my mind of the interaction between someone who is able versus yeah. disabled, and you've you've said, you know, yes, I can ask for help. What what's what do you recommend for someone who's Wanting to be helpful, then is what yes. what 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 feels good to you in that interaction? What do you recommend? So for me, and I know that um, some people with disabilities will
0: disagree with me, and mm-hmm. I think it's okay to have different perspectives. But for me, having been someone who's able-bodied, who was mm-hmm. a helper, um, and became a person with a disability, I would say uh, ask. But before asking, have eye contact with me. Give me a smile, say hi, and then say, you know, would you like me to open the door for you or are you okay? Um, Mm -hmm. That to me is an exchange that is positive. It's an exchange that acknowledges me as a person, you know, by having eye contact and and smiling. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not just focusing on the wheelchair or the disability or what I can't do according to your preconceptions. Um, because like I said, I mean, I can open the door. Uh, Some doors are very heavy, those Mm. I can't, you know, but a a door that's lighter, um, I could open it, no problem. And I have different strategies to do that. And so I think it's that interaction. And for me, it's important to have those interactions. Um, I became a school ambassador of the Rick Hansen Foundation very soon after my accident. Um, It was very important to me because I had realized Through my interaction with Thomas and his cousins, um, the importance to have those conversations so that we shape our perspectives together, but that those perspectives that the children sort of carry through include my perspective of what my disability means. And so they don't have to sort of like imagine or try to, you know, make up something
1: that they don't understand. I love it. Yeah. This, this invitation to ask. Yeah. And, and I like what you said about making the eye contact, smiling, see me as a person. Yes. I'm really curious because whenever I see someone in, in a wheelchair, I, I generally smile at people on the street. So I make an effort to smile just as I would anyone else and see them. What's your perspective as someone who moved into a wheelchair? Did it feel different in, in the interactions that you had in society? Yeah. Are you treated different? Can you tell me about that? Yeah. I, I did feel um, at times
0: that I was being treated different. Mm-hmm. Um, people would just grab my wheelchair, not even acknowledge, like they wouldn't even introduce themselves. So they would just grab the wheelchair and destabilize me because I was like, oh, somebody's like taking over and what's that? Mm -hmm. Um, I've had people, um, and even recently I've had people, uh, talk to my friends or to my mom or whoever is the able-bodied and not me, even if I was the one asking the question. Um, I've had parents who probably didn't know how to react, saw their kids sort of stare at me and instead of informing the kids or maybe introducing the child to me, um, Mm would just sort of grab the child and like, oh, dude, don't look. Like, you know, we don't look at these people type of reaction. Um, oh, those wow. are the ones that I hate the most because to me, if a child is staring, it's because there's a lot of questions are that going on. They're curious. Yeah. And we need to nourish that curiosity because again, what we do and how we react will shape how they will perceive people with disabilities all kinds of disabilities uh, later on in life. And so this is a great opportunity. And so I would ask parents, if there are parents right now with young children, um, if your child has questions, answer them the best that you can. And please invite that conversation into your home about what is disability that Mm -hmm. is visible or invisible uh, disability and, and what those are.
1: Now, yeah, what they are and how should we respond? As, and how we should respond. As yes, part of community. Yeah, yep. yeah. Um, this is sort of a personal observation here. I work. I live in a condo, and there are five elevators. Yep. And I have noticed these elevator doors close faster than yes. any other elevator doors that I've ever lived with. Yep. And there's a lovely gentleman in my building who also has MS. Yes. And I've had a conversation with him saying, are, how do you find the elevators? Are they, can you navigate? Because if I have shopping bags, for example, yeah. and I put the shopping bags down, I can, I'm sometimes like, oh, 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 I got to get there before it closes. And sometimes I've missed it. Um, I'm feeling one of the things on my to-do list is talk to the board and ask them to extend the time that the doors are open. It's it's things like that. Um, are th- where do people look for things that can be done, how to be an ally, how to be supportive in what they notice around them that is difficult? I mean, one of the other things near me, there's the, an Air, the Air India flight that went down in, I think, as 1985. There's a memorial here. Okay. And there was only stair access. Oh, yes. and. Yeah. Uh, they've changed it now. A couple of years ago, they've changed and they put a ramp in and left one small set of stairs in a ramp. I'm like, how is this inaccessible for 20, 30 years? Like what, what's, what, what happened? So what, what would you invite people to do? And this is, I think my, I'm looking at my time. I think this will be our last question. What would you yeah. invite people to do if they want to be a strong supporter? I think it's, um, Oh, there's so
0: many different things that I I think if we're just there, um, acknowledging that the experts are the people who have um, the disability or live with the disability. Um, And so it's not to take over their voice. It's maybe to help them amplify. Mm -hmm. And when you do see and when you do observe like you did uh, with the elevator doors, then make a point to inform someone who might not have seen it or mm-hmm. realize that that could be an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like in my workplace, when I returned to work, there were two elevators that were very, very old. And it happened that one broke and they were repairing it. And then one day I get a series of calls from different colleagues of mine. The second elevator had broken that day. And everybody thought of me Mm -hmm. Um, and everybody thought we need to inform Marjorie not to go in or try to go in the elevator or else she could be stuck. Um, People rallied around me and sort of let's problem solve together. Um, And so that is helpful when you actually sort of acknowledge um, the other person and the other person's uh, needs in, in society
1: yeah so I'm leaving feeling like there's a lot we can do individually, there's a lot we can do as leaders who are thinking and, and observing what's going on. There are a lot we can do as business owners if we want to build this loyal customer base and not marginalize a very large and growing you know, as our population ages, more of us slip into disabilities yes. of different kinds, right? Yes. So I think there's so much opportunity. Um, I would encourage everyone to check out Marge's TEDx talk. Would you like to share the title here? Yeah. When we can learn from parents with disabilities. Yeah. So
0: So, it's a different twist to parenting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think an invitation for people to step into practical things you can do and also a whole lot of gratitude for maybe how much easier it might be for you than you may think as well. There's always some beauty in understanding different people's perspectives gotcha. and challenges. And I wanna thank you so much for sharing your journey with me and with our listeners today. It's uh, it's just a beautiful thing, um, your story about being 20 years old and tapping into your purpose yep. and then living it uh, so profoundly. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. You can find all of the Happy Space Podcast episodes over at happyspacepod.com. I love learning what resonates with you, so please leave a comment about this episode over social media, or even better, post a review wherever you tune in. And if you have an idea for a topic to explore or an inclusive action to celebrate, I would love to know more about it. It might even appear in an upcoming episode or an issue of the Happy Space newsletter. Please help me spread the word about people doing great things. After all, doesn't everyone deserve a happy space?